You are listening to Real Men Feel with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. Thank you for joining us today. You know, there are lots of books and articles and conversations about masculinity these days, which I think is a wonderful thing. There can't really be too many of that. But uh, my guest today has been part of that conversation for decades now. So I'm really happy to introduce and welcome back Destin Garrick. He is a globally recognized leading voice in masculinity, sexuality, and personal empowerment. He is the founder and CEO of The Evolved Masculine, a pioneering coaching and training company for men, and author of the recent released, recently released book, The Evolved Masculine, Be the Man the World Needs and the One She Craves. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Andy. Thank you for having me. Good to be back. Yeah, and I was telling you just before we started that it, it's been almost exactly three years since you first appeared on Real Men Feel. And I look back at that and call the show The Evolved Masculine, which mm. is the title of, of your book, which I believe came out in December of 2019? Uh, yeah, technically. I did <laughs> soft launch in uh, mid-late December and did the big public launch on January 7th. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's still very fresh. Very fresh. Good. And since kind of The Evolved Masculine has been kind of your, your banner for a while, has, has the book taken this long of gestation or is it uh, just uh, well, another the, way of expressing <laughs> both <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah i mean i've been gestating this book for i probably even longer than that um it, it's so hard i've been asked so many times like how long did it take you to write it and i'm like uh, 41 years <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it is uh, such a culmination, not just of my work, but in many ways my life, uh, particularly because I chose to include so much of my personal story in the book, uh, something that I wasn't originally intending to do. Uh, draft one wasn't really like that. Uh, it was much more kind of typical self-help oriented, just kind of laying out the teachings, so to speak. And it just it felt flat to me. Like I felt like there's something really missing. And um, so I ended up essentially completely rewriting it this time, uh, really focusing not just these are the things that I'd like for you to know, but also including, and this is how I came to know them. Mm. Cool. Cause yeah. I, I wanted to ask like, why are you the person that had to write this book? But if it's your experiences, really you're the only person that could write it. Yeah, I mean, it's not solely my experiences, but there's a lot of it in there. <laughs> and I've lived a very unusual life and a, a, a very intense life as well. And I, I, I once, at once, I was a little hesitant to include much of my personal story because of how unusual my life was. Mm. Um, figuring, I don't know if that will be alienating. But then I figured, you know what? My life has been incredibly entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> and all I have to do is is take the 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 parts of my story that I a will grab attention because they are very uh, larger than life, entertaining, what have you, but then also pull the universal quality from them, the aspect that anybody can relate to. 
and, and really drive that home and be very clear on okay, what is what is the lesson really that I want to that I want the reader to come away from this particular chapter with, and just make sure that the story wraps around that. And why is this book what what's what's the big message in it that's needed today? Well, uh, you know, we're in a time of pretty drastic reorganization of uh, gender dynamics. <laughs> uh, over the past several generations, women have been rising up, uh, stepping into greater degrees of power, leadership, um, finances, you know, even owning their sexuality and desires and fantasies like never before. And a lot of men don't know what to do with this. Mm. They don't understand like why she does the things that she does, whether individually, uh, the particular woman in their life, or what's going on with women collectively. And I honestly, the thing that finally got me to break through all of my resistances to writing this book, of which there were many, <laughs> and buckle down and just be like, whatever it takes, I'm getting this done, was the catalyst of the Me Too movement. Was a sense of, all right, most men were blindsided by this. And the truth is, I wasn't. I, you know, my whole work has kind of been it was instigated by uh, sexual trauma experiences in uh, you know, my mid to late teens. So I got firsthand uh, knowledge and understanding of just how widespread this ep epidemic of sexual trauma is 20 plus years ago. And I made some of the same mistakes then that I see many men making today, which is essentially... Um, in this state of confusion, taking on this message that maybe there's just something inherently problematic or dangerous with men, masculinity, and men's sexuality. Hmm. And I, that was the message I took on as a 16-year-old. Uh, well, let me just say that story real quick. Uh, um, my high school sweetheart was raped on her 15th birthday uh, just before we met. I was 16. I wasn't emotionally equipped to handle it. Mm. Um, we were together for three years. And at some point during that, I hit a point of exasperation and just made a declaration to God, the universe, myself, that I was going to do everything I could in my life to create a world where things like this didn't happen anymore. That ended up directing so much of my life, though I'd say over the next 10 years, I often forgot about um, that initial, like, that this is what was driving things. But if you look backwards, it's very clear that <laughs> that, that was a major starting point. Mm -hmm. um, but for those next 10 years, I really took on that message that, uh, that men, masculinity, sexuality are, are dangerous. And I disconnected from those parts of myself because I didn't want to be that bad guy. Mm -hmm. And that caused a lot of problems in my life. Now, looking back, is it dangerous or is it the problem that people perceive it as dangerous? Uh, uh, let me go with the third route. Okay. <laughs> um, we, we have inherited some pretty distorted notions of what masculinity is, pretty distorted notions of what it means to be a man, and pretty distorted notions around our sexuality. Those distortions can create danger. And 
the problem of the perceptions of it being dangerous is that conflation with these distortions of our understandings and experiences of masculinity, men, sexuality, as being what men, masculinity, and sexuality inherently are, that's what's, that's problematic. So has masculinity always been distorted or was it, is I, the I perception it. right once and it. now we've lost it? No. I doubt it. And I also think that, that some cultures are, have it more distorted than others. That <laughs> um, uh, there are some things that we, well, over the years, like, and I mean by thousands of years, we have been suppressing the feminine. We have been uh, relegating the feminine as lesser, as uh, women, as second-class citizens, but even just uh, feminine attributes as being less important and less valuable than masculine attributes. And with that, um, we shame the, the feminine in each other, in, like in other men, and most is, most importantly, within ourselves, which then has to translate into how we relate to the feminine externally. If we shame, judge, make wrong this way, way of being within ourselves, it's, it's going to bleed out into how we view others. And it bleeds out into how we treat this planet. You know, historically, like we, we have this word of like Mother Earth, and then how do we treat her? And so to me, this is all rooted back to our, uh, these extremely distorted notions of how we've been with the feminine for a very long time. The, the other major problem though, is that when we have this distortion and suppression and repression of the feminine for so long, that is what creates the distortion of the masculine. Healthy masculinity requires a, a um, requires balance with the feminine. It requires us to be in relationship with one another. And without that, I mean, you take a gr- group of men and you put them together long enough and we kind of know that they, <laughs> things can get uh, pretty stupid pretty quickly. <laughs> that there seems to be some, some balancing effect of even having one woman within the group. Um, and even more so when we have some semblance of, of true balance there. Now, we are so far removed from... From a real balance, uh, whether we're talking about balance of masculine and feminine or balance of men and women, either way, we're so far removed from a, from a true balance that I don't think we have any real comprehension as to how far away we are. Um, because, you know, the, the, what we know is the water that we swim in. It's like the, the way that the fish doesn't understand that it's wet. Right. Um, we, we're in this time now where, sure, women are step being into positions of power and we've got an increasing number of like CEOs, still a vast minority, but, but far more than a generation ago, likewise with world leaders, um, and which, you know, also trickles out into various ways and, you know, amongst more regular people, so to speak. But that's, those are still uh, populating a world and a set of structures that were built by men in accordance to masculine principles. Simply putting women there is not, is not enough. It's not going to, that, that's not going to create the t- true balance. And I don't necessarily know what it's going to take and what that will look like. Mm-hmm. I've just gotten glimpses of it, but the glimpses that I've seen of it do point to me that 
we will all be better off. We'll all be better off. I mean, you name the show Real Men Feel for a reason. We've been disconnected from these feminine aspects of self because feeling is feminine and that's girly. What are you, a sissy? Right. And when it comes to the balancing of anything, it's really Mm -hmm. masculine and feminine are ends of a pole and we're in this kind of pendulum swing and we're really swung far to the masculine side right now. So we're going to swing the other way. We're not going to stop at a balance point. So it's almost like, oh, we passed it. Oh, that looked like balance back there. I I would recognize it. On one sense, I'll agree with you. There tends to be uh, major oscillations, like moving from one side to another on our way to finding balance. I certainly know that my life has looked that way. Uh, (laughs) But I've tended towards being an extremist. As I've gotten older, I have definitely found a greater degree of balance, but it's been through these swings. And we do see that in our society, these, these major overcorrections on our way to, to find something. But, but even still, I don't think that that's really an indication of, of the, the fact that we're anywhere near close to swinging to it, um, what some people fear as an overly feminized society. Um, I don't think we even understand what that would look like, to be honest. Yeah. And, there's certainly a group of men, a subset of men, whatever you want to call it, that anything lessening from the high point of masculine power is seen as that over-feminization, like any lessening of that. And those are the guys that I, I just see fighting the most. And no, we've got to, you know, if I, there's not a sense of, there's no possibility of equality. It's like, I must lose, if, if, if femininity gains anything, me as, I as a man must lose something. Yeah, well, it is that uh, zero-sum game approach, this notion uh, that we have had this idea of the battle of the sexes for longer than I've been alive. And uh, it doesn't need to be that way. Uh, I heard this phrase that I really liked, um, of from the battle of the sexes to the alliance of the sexes. Mm. What will that take? Not for us to, to have... Uh, a, a, us move from one of us one side winning versus the other side winning, but to a place where we can find a true uh, a true alliance to rise together, where we can t- get out of this notion of who's to blame, pointing fingers, shaming one another, making wrong. This is what you should be doing differently, and if only you'll change in X, Y, or Z way, then things would be better. I I just honestly do not believe that we're really going to get anywhere worthwhile through that approach. Uh, there there comes a time, and, and there are folks who are doing this, of course. It's just, what's the dominant conversation right now? It's still very much pointing fingers, blaming, shaming, making wrong. Yeah, because that, that, it's certainly easier than taking responsibility, because if, <laughs> if we own it, we have to change it. But it's easier to say it's all your fault. That's much it, easier. It, it also gets more clicks, yeah. <laughs> which unfortunately is the world we're living in right now. Yeah. So the subtitle of the book is, part of it is, Be the Man the World Needs. So mm-hmm. what sort of man does the world need? Um, for those on audio, I'm, I'm uh, holding up the book right now. Speak, <laughs> speak and it arises. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually my uh, not for resale uh, uh, copy that I used to to proof it. Um, what does the world need? It need it needs for men to introspect, to really be willing to look within and to assess our notions of 
what it means to be a man of our masculinity, our programming around sexuality, our understandings of what women and the feminine are and our relationship to them. And really look at what are the aspects of what we've received. You know, we, we were all born into a culture, into a set of ideas and belief systems and messaging all around us. And some of it is very valuable. And some of it is messing us up messing us up it, not only is it messing up the, the women in our lives it's messing us up individually like we are hurting men are hurting from this as well so to really look within and to be in that exploration of what's actually working here what's actually not working here and have the willingness to evolve to, to grow and to change to be to leave behind the aspects of uh of this distorted uh, more quote-unquote toxic masculinity that's clearly, clearly women are drawing a line in the sand and saying, enough, this is not working. If it ever was, it certainly isn't now and probably wasn't so much then either. It's just that women actually have this, the sense of their own power and voice now in a way that they hadn't prior. And be like, all right, so now what? If not that, okay, I can take that in. Then, then what? With that also, there are aspects of masculinity as it's been seen, understood in different cultures throughout the world, throughout history, that actually we could use more of in our society today. Aspects around, um, around leadership, aspects around uh, well, protection of the feminine, for one. A core aspect of masculinity throughout history was that notion of the protector. But somewhere along the line, the, the, this is one of the major distortions I actually write about in uh, a chapter called uh, Protect the Feminine. <laughs> I've gotten that. really good at finding <laughs> things in my book very quickly. So, <laughs> so uh, chapter 19, Protect the Feminine. Um, there, somewhere along the line, we created a distortion around what that means, where that protection became more about control. Mm. Where that in order to quote unquote protect her, whoever she is, we limited her. We limited her expression. We limited what she could or could not do. We limited her access to, to things or people's access to her. That's not the evolved masculine protector. Protection through the evolved masculine lens is one in which in, when she's in your midst, she feels more free as a result of the protection you provide, not less. And the moment that she feels any, any sense of her will, her freedom impinged upon, you have ceased being the evolved masculine protector and have moved into that place of distortion and control. I really like that, that term distorted masculinity more than toxic masculinity, which has just become such a yeah, there's there's no clear definition of it, and it's just it's been overly politicized, I think. But it, you know, well, is, yeah, that's it gets a little tricky as well because I mean, why has it been overly politicized? I mean, part of it is because there are some men who don't want to understand, and whatever is presented, if they hear my message, they will find a way to distort it and throw it back at me as well. Yeah. The main thing is that men like yourself and like myself and those who are listening can't allow the men who refuse to want to understand. We cannot allow them to speak for us. We cannot allow them to, to hold the dominant position of what it is to be a man, what masculinity is, and to be the, to be the driving voices 
uh, in this conversation. Enough of that. We have to claim our own power. Men who feel, men who have connected to their hearts must also connect deep into their power and their will and own their capacity to be a strong voice, to be a strong effector of change and to, re- and to recognize that we can be the ones who take, who become the dominant force within the notions of masculinity and men. Yeah, that's a big um, thing a lot of guys don't yet get that being heart-centered, being willing to feel doesn't make them weaker, makes them stronger. It can, but it doesn't. It, one of the reasons why is because we have examples of both. There are men who who go into their feelings at the expense of, by denying, by letting go, by not accessing their own real power. And I really believe that that our potency as men is in integration, not in denial of one part of ourselves as men for another part. I know that that was part of my own journey as well as that I dove into my feelings and and lost my ability to be grounded, Hmm. Uh, lost my ability to be that, that strong penetrative force. I then had to relearn that with this new sense of my feeling capacity. But once those two parts are integrated, I think then, then you've got a force to reckon with. Right, right. So it wasn't, it was going beyond one or the other, bringing them both together. And that's where your real power is. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think that's overall, that's, that's found so many different aspects of our, our journey as men that we have a tendency to split you know, you have you have these certain men who I don't know to put it in in crass terms really embrace these notions of quote unquote toxic masculinity, except won't use that that languaging, and uh, you know things like we have a caricature of in the White House, for example, who who really embrace these certain notions uh, full force, do not feel, do not care, uh, certain. Mm, and are just going for what they want at whatever cost to whoever is around. And then you have other men who are extremely turned off by that. They're like, I am not that. And they instead tend to be softer, really connect to their hearts. They feel more. They might be more spiritually uh, oriented. And often these two sets of men, part of their identity is in not being the other Hmm. and in the ways in which they have a disdain for the other. But I've really come to believe that the truth is we actually both have things to learn from the other. And that through that, that that integration of the best of what each has to offer is, is what we're really capable of. And honestly, what I think most women would really prefer. It's, I actually had written down, uh, I wanted to ask about what sort of, what aspects of masculinity does President Trump put off in public? Because again, we can only see what is in the in public part. But uh, so I think you already answered that. But, you know, I've it's always- a complicated least- case because honestly, I'm a firm believer that, um, that, you know, the root there is in a psychological diagnosis that- uh, yeah, that there is a narcissistic personality disorder um, at the root there. That's, 
uh, everything that I've learned about narcissistic personality disorder, um, which gets diluted a lot because of the way in which people throw around the term narcissism these days. But um, uh, I have come face to face with uh, someone with narcissistic personality disorder um, before in my life, and it wreaked massive havoc on my life. And I also saw, wow, there is some uncanny commonalities here between what's happening right now in my personal life with this individual and what I'm seeing in this larger political sphere. So, so it's a little bit tricky to, to use that as an example. But I mean, I, at the same time, there are ways in which the, these notions of what we have held up as like the supreme alpha male uh, in a certain idealization it, are some of these more sociopathic traits. Yeah, the certain- unfeeling, going for what you want, no matter what, and no matter who is in, impacted, you know, people are impacted. People are hurt. A lot of people are hurt. Women, children, elderly, other men. We can do better. Yeah. It's time. It's time. We need to do better. Even, you know, putting aside any sort of disorders or anything like that, there's, there's certainly an an unwillingness and a lack of experience of, of being introspective. Yeah. It's impossible for, it's impossible for somebody with NPD. Um, the, I do think that that introspective quality is a core foundational aspect of the evolved masculine. Uh, you know, that's it combined with the propensity for intentional growth. This is the aspect of evolution and, we the the world is changing culture is changing our notions of possibility are changing we can change with it or we can be left behind we can drag our feet we can experience a lot more pain and suffering as a result so with and i've said it many times you know change is the only constant we have really mm-hmm. so with with so much change happening over generations is, is there anything that has been consistent about what it means to be a man? Mm. Okay, so we've got these two different things, right? There's what it means to be a man, and then there's what is masculinity, right? And uh, one of these challenges is that uh, American culture has conflated those two, uh, including even in our dictionary. If you look up the definition of masculine or masculinity, it says like that which is of a man or something like that. It up again, um, and likewise with feminine and and women. But if you look at other cultures, that's not necessarily how they've defined such things. Um, uh, I, I'm a big fan of a lot of Eastern perspectives on masculine and feminine, which roots more about the these are the energetic principles that permeate the universe. You spoke of of them both being uh, ends of a pole. So to get to start to dive in more directly around. Uh, what it means to be a man. I don't think so, to be honest. I think if anything, we're moving towards an ever-expanded definition. And while some people fear that, I don't, I don't see anything that we need to be afraid of. I think that consciousness, that, that um, consciousness itself as a larger force in this world tends towards diversification. It, it tends towards variety. And so we are expanding the various possible permutations of expression. Wonderful. I had somebody, I was uh, 
I, I posted this little meme that was going around of like, if, if I were to do a TED talk, what, what would you imagine I would talk about um, thing on Facebook? And because, well, one, I'm planning on doing a TED talk, but also it was going around. So, and one buddy, one uh, guy wrote, you know, like how to be masculine AF as fuck. And, and I just, I reply, you're not actually paying attention to my message, are you? Because <laughs> my work is not about teaching you how to be masculine as fuck. Yeah, I do take a random sampling of a hundred men and have me in that room. And chances are pretty high. I'm not the most masculine man in that room. I don't aim to be the most masculine man around. I aim to have the healthiest relationship to my masculinity that I can have hmm. and to help other men to do the same. I think that that can be a big difference because yeah. there are a lot of men who, who aim and strive to be as masculine as possible, who are not necessarily particularly healthy hmm. with that masculinity. So different people have different ways of expressing that uh, their masculinity, different people, uh, you know, we, I hold the belief that we all carry both masculine and feminine uh, energies within us and the ways in which it expresses can vary by, by individual. And with that, there's power. There's power in that diversity. If, as we learn how to utilize each other's strengths, but first and foremost, when we stop shaming ourselves. But one of the things that I've come to really believe is that and this, uh, not just with my work with my clients, but also, uh, again, drawing upon my own personal experience. <laughs> if we really want to express who, you, who we are, who you are in the world, and to just uh, accept uh, that who you are, you need to actually know who you are. And for you to really know who, who you truly are, you need to be willing to introspect and to confront the wounds that you have in your system because every single person I've ever met carries wounds around their masculine men and women. Every single person I've ever met carries wounds around their feminine men and women. So if you want to know who, if you want to just like be who you are, you need to know who you are. And as long as you are expressing into the world as a result, uh, simply as a result of the wounds that you have experienced is that really who you are so i believe that we have that capacity to move across that spectrum i have incredible uh access to my feminine aspects of myself and when i started really intentionally diving into my masculinity i got clear i did not want to do so at the expense of those feminine qualities that i've actually come to really appreciate mm. my attention to aesthetics and beauty i love it I've, I have a very cultivated look that I have been working on for years and people notice it works for me. It <laughs> works for me with other men. It works for me professionally. It works for me with women. Um, my ability to be receptive, to receive, to take in, it's historically a, a feminine quality. Sure. Being able to receive a woman and including the receive the, the feminine gifts that she has to offer, to allow her in. Oh, I appreciate that. My ability to uh, to let go of the n need for the linear, driving, focused, um, or even the logical, rational, and to drop into the body, into the present moment, and move uh, intuitively with whatever, wherever things feel like they they need to flow in that moment. 
to have those capacities, I think, are, are powerful. Now, it doesn't, though, have to be at the expense of their masculine reciprocal. Because within that, then I also learned how to be a potent driving force, how to lead, how to guide, how to strengthen my will, go for what I want and let nothing stop me. How to, um, mm, how to take, how to penetrate. You know, there, there's, there are so many of these quality, how to, how to really cultivate and utilize and strengthen my intellect within that logical and rational framework. But then to balance that with my capacity to quiet my mind, to still it, to allow the intuition to come in, to allow myself to, to, to tap into that place that arguably is, is rooted in the feminine, that place of knowing without thought. A gift that I really learned primarily from the women in my life. So was it that experience at age 16 that got you consciously exploring masculinity and femininity? Uh, no, I mean, indirectly, yes, but not so straight line. <laughs> uh, initially it just led me to disconnect, to retreat more into my feminine because it seems safer. Uh, at least then I couldn't become that monster that that haunted her. I think I've got language like that in my book. Um, but 10 years later, I was a mess. I'd collapsed into my feminine. And I had very little connection to my masculine aspects of self. Um, I disconnected them to them so much that I didn't know how to connect to them anymore. And I had to go on a very, very intentional journey to actively explore my masculinity and what it means to me to be a man in, in this world. That was 2007 that I started that really intense journey. I had no idea when I set forth on it that it was going to prove to be as powerful as it turned out to be. Hmm. Um, and it, it proved out to be extraordinary. It completely upended my life in all the best ways. Um, it was a reinvention of self, really. Uh, and I have a whole process that I use. I'm like, I mean, I, I think that this will have already happened by the time uh, this uh, recording goes live. But <laughs> in physical time, uh, tomorrow I'm actually doing a, a webinar where I'm taking people through this process that I developed through um, uh, in starting in 2007, and I've just refined it over the past 13 years to uh, crystallize a vision of your own evolved masculine self, uh, the vision of who you could be on uh, without the crappy programming that you've received around what is supposed to be as a man while strengthening and deepening in the real possibilities for yourself and what really in the deepest of your heart you, it, you're yearning to become. So there's, is he? there's not one type of man that here's the evolved masculine and we're all going to that. It, it's very no, individual. No, I, 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 I lay out, I lay out the big lessons that I learned and that have been proved to be extremely powerful for me, but I, I'm not a believer in the, the type of one right way. I'm extremely anti-dogmatic. Um, and personally, I find that those types of approaches can be, quite toxic for people as they try to fit themselves into boxes that were never meant for them. And they can, people spend their entire lives trying to do so. So I don't there, believe in it. So even given individuality and various expressions and polls, yeah. uh, are there one or two qualities that, that you see as most lacking 
in the masses of manhood today? Uh, sure. I, <laughs> um, yeah, a willingness to own responsibility. It's the first thing that came to me. I, um, I think that respond, the word responsibility almost has a bad rap um, amongst too many. Uh, I mean, you and I are not spring chickens anymore. Uh, <laughs> um, generally speaking, I think that we've, we've both hit a point where, uh, where we've taken on responsibility. And uh, it can be presented, though, by our society in many ways. It just seems like it's something you want to avoid as much as you can. Yeah. And not really as just being emblematic of what is lost of what you're giving up and loss of freedom and what have you. And, and really a lack of what, what you get from taking on responsibility. Responsibility expands you. It forces growth that can be so powerful as you take on greater degrees of responsibility, whether with family providing, whether with, uh, you know, um, financial or professional responsibilities, social responsibilities, responsibilities to other men, you become more. Your capacity grows. Your capacity to hold more grows. Your capacity to see more grows. And so uh, that's something I would like to see prioritized more in our society, uh, not just uh, not just the pressure of responsibility, but really the value of responsibility. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely avoided responsibility for all through my teens, 20s, even 30s. To me, responsibility, like, who's responsible for this? Like, there's blame. There's yours is fault, <laughs> right? It's not cool to be responsible. You're in trouble. But, I think uh, that that's, that's great. Um, you know, bringing up that, uh, that notion between responsibility and blame or fault. This comes up a lot today around, uh, around things like uh, um, these dynamics between men and women, or for that matter, white people and black people in America and on you know, various other things. This notion of, well, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything. I didn't rape anybody. I don't slut shame. I don't. No, it might not be your fault. But I do believe it is your responsibility. Mm. We, have, we have inherited a lot of rights when it comes to being born in this male body. And with that, we also inherit responsibility. We inherit the responsibility to do better. And the, more than anything, that's, that's the call to, that's being made of us right now by women and others is do better and the fear that the fear response is leave me alone it's not my fault <laughs> and the, the if you can take if you can step into and clean the responsibility with it and recognize that 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 call is not need to does not need to lessen you in any way but that through it you can grow you can become more by what would it be to take that responsibility of the sins of my ancestors? And how can you actually use that taking on that responsibility to actually not just do better, but, but 
but be a better man. Again, not just for the other people in your life, though that's great, <laughs> but, but also because you will only be served by becoming a better man. I said earlier about expansion and growth and, you know, the universe is increasing its speed of expansion. Mm-hmm. So therefore we as individuals really must increase our expansion. There's, there's this, there's a birthright and a, a desire for more. And to, to me, I find the guys that like uh, fight with tooth and nail and against it. And, no, toxic masculinity is this line and they don't want change. And they're just, they're so resistant to growing in any you know, change and growth. They're both just, uh, really hit them as frightening, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the episode prior to this was all about taking personal responsibility. Oh, and I had, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the author Brad Richard wrote a book, Man at 50. And he mm-hmm. said he was 50 years old before he took personal responsibility for his life. Mm-hmm. And he felt as, as those, that, that meant he had wasted 50 years. Mm-hmm. And that just struck me as like one of the saddest things I ever heard from a guest. <sighs> And I, I mean, the main thing is that he was willing to speak it. Mm. Uh, he's not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, and there are people that go their entire lives. Yeah. Well, I think that, that we have a lot of this notion that can be too popularized in our society today. Um, that does get many people thinking in terms of being at the effect of the world around them. The world acts upon them and they're just reacting to what is happening. (laughs) And the first, uh, so my book is split into four major parts plus a fifth part that's like an epilogue. And the first part is titled Self as Creator. That's really rooted in, in taking real responsibility of your enormous capacity of creating who you are in this world. Who are you as a man? What does that look like? And what, as well as the incredible responsibility that you have in creating the world around you. One of the reasons why I highlight in such a way is because, yeah, it took it maybe not till 50, and since I'm not there yet, uh, <laughs> but it took me what I consider too long to have any understanding of that, mm-hmm. where I did feel like I it just what's what's happening today and <laughs> and not even responding, often reacting to that, mm-hmm. versus when I really got clear on who do I want to be, and owning that I can actually become that. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, as a teenager, I was very suicidal. There were multiple attempts in my life. And I still remember this one guy in a mental hospital, a counselor told me, you've got to be more cause. Mm. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? What do I do with that? And it just, I just, but I never forgot it, but it took me Mm. decades to really get it. And as you're saying, it's be the creator. Don't just be reactionary. So... (laughs) I have this little diagram in here about uh, the cause and effect equation as I uh, have it here. It says diagram of cause and effect, uh, which speaks of the past present model of identity versus the present to future model of identity. Let me break that down real quick. So the past to present model is I am my history. I am the things that have happened in my life. I am the result of, well, when I was a child, my parents were like this, they fought like this, and then, um, you know, that kind of screwed me up. And then I got into my first relationship, and she ended up cheating on me. It was 
bitch and that got me started to have all these issues with different women cause you see that in these different relationships that I had and I got all angry blah, 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 and now this is who I am versus the present to future uh, orientation of self. So this is where I am the man I am choosing to be in this moment and the man that I am committed to becoming where the cause is in the present moment, which in truth is really the only place you have any power in this moment, not in some imagined past and not in your ideas of the future right now. What are you choosing and who are you choosing to be? And with that, holding a vision of the man that you are committed to becoming. And I say becoming because these things are a, a process. By every choice that you make, every word you speak, every thought that you think, you're in that process of becoming. So choose wisely. Get clear. This is why I have created that process around uh, creating your own evolved masculine archetype. Get clear on who he is that you are becoming and make your choices today that move you in the direction of ever increasingly becoming him. That's where the power is. Mm-hmm. No, I know that you, you had the self-created identity of the erotic rock star for a while. Seven years. Yeah. So is, is that, was that, is what you're teaching now as the model? Was that part of that, your experience doing that part of it? Yeah. So the, I've done this process twice in my life. First, as I, I describe it as, um, insecure people pleaser greg my birth name and then going through this whole process uh somewhat pulling from different things that i found and some through trial and error what i sort of accidentally discovered (laughs) um did this complete reinvention of self and creating the the, that time the erotic rock star uh as an alter ego in many ways like due to that early uh high school experience i hit a point of like, I need to know and understand what healthy masculine sexuality could look like and be like, what, what a healthy integrated man with who's really connected to his heart and compassionate and cares and is very empowered in his sexuality. What would that look like? And I try to look around for role models and I had a really hard time finding that. Even today, I talk to different people like, what, what is healthy masculine sexuality? And I get a lot of like blank stares. Uh, so I, at that time, I created this idea of what I called the erotic rock star. He was very over the top. He was a little intense. And at times, I mean, there's a reason why I end up retiring him. The, uh, there are things that I see a lot clearer in retrospect. Um, but I lived it full on, really intensely. Wherever your mind went with it, it was more intense than that, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, and then I hit a point where I was done with him, where what was originally extremely freeing started feeling like a cage, hmm. where I started feeling like I was trying to fit into this box that I created uh, or then sometimes that other people, other people's ideas as to what I was supposed to be using that name. Yeah. And, and uh, I let him die. Or at least that's how I thought of it at the time. And from his ashes, I started to create a new vision. And this started being the evolved masculine archetype. And here I removed it a little bit differently. I never think of myself as I am the evolved masculine. No. Um, I did think of myself as the erotic rock star. Okay. I, I look at the Evolved Masculine as an idea. It's a, a lighthouse to help guide my journey. Mm. And one that I found um, 
a lot of other men find really helpful as they're seeking a, their own path. Yeah. And that, that just even the metaphors you use, it sounds much more truly freeing than any sort of label, which does become a box. It's uh, no, I could, it could easily, it could, oh my God, even today, it was today or yesterday. I get people, I mean, I'm a, I'm a minor public figure, you know, I get people projecting on me left and right. And because I seem to be really into creating these large ideas, like the erotic rock star or the evolved masculine, people come up with their ideas as to what I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to think and their ideas as to what that means and how I'm supposed to hold that same idea. Only thankfully, because I'd done this before poorly, I, <laughs> this time around, I'm like, no, you don't get to define what the evolved masculine means for me. Feel free to define it for yourself all you want, but you do not define it for me. You know, one change that I'm aware of for you since we last spoke three years ago mm-hmm. is that you're now a father. I am. So yeah, I am. How, <laughs> how and if, yeah. All right. So how has that changed your views on masculinity? Uh well, first of all, it's just changed me in innumerable ways. Um, so would the evolved masculine have happened? As soon as you start speaking of Yeah. Would the evolved masculine have happened if you hadn't become a father? Well, it started first. Yeah. Uh, I would say I don't know if becoming a father would have happened <laughs> if the evolved masculine didn't. I mean, one of the reasons why I let go of the erotic rock star was because I started having an extremely strong drive towards creating a family and i became clear that the way i was living my life was not conducive to it and um it, it became so strong that i was like i need to make big changes and i and i did um not only my father i'm a father to a daughter so that you know just further gives me a new sense of purpose to this work that i do in many ways, it's in many ways it's the same. I, you know, I've been driven by this need to to make this world a better place, by this need to protect, to help protect the feminine, um, to create a world where the, these types of violations become more of a relic of our more barbaric past of humanity. Um, but now it's so tangible. Now it's so tangible. Now it's for her. You know, it's not just for her, of course, but now it's for her. It's, she's two years old. You know, uh, a lot can happen over the next decade, decade and a half. Um, I want that, I want the boys and men that she ends up meeting, coming into contact with, whether directly romantically and or sexually, or just in work or social life, I want them to be a better kind of man. A man that right now is too much of a minority. And I believe that we collectively can shift in such a way that the best of what we can be can become more of our baseline. You know, there are more and more of us who are reaching for something more. That's a great sign. And change happens. The big changes often happen generationally. Because the, the children that you raise, the children that I raise, if we can raise them to do better, to be better than even the best that, that we have been, 
again, they're going to be imperfect in their own ways. But as I said, the reason why I share so many of my own mistakes in this, in my book is so that you can make better mistakes. <laughs> Learn from my mistakes. Make <laughs> Elevate your mistakes. Yourself. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so, so, so likewise, I just, I know she is still going to have her challenges and I know that the boys and men that she interacts with, are still going to have theirs. I just want them to be better. I, I'd like I would really like for my daughter to go through her life and not ever experience sexual abuse or trauma. I'm sure every man lis- listening to this who has a child or will have a child would feel the w- same way. And if we didn't do anything, you're, you know, it's a roll of the dice. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to responsibility. I feel if, a strong if, responsibility. Yeah. If you want a better world for your children, especially your daughters, got to take responsibility and take some actions yeah so yeah so she you know between her and my wife i mean i'm 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 constantly committing to being a better man um again things that i tried to do prior for sure but it just changes the whole game it really does and especially because you know we all share a household of course with my family like I, i i i get the opportunity every day and of course, I don't always live up to my ideals. I don't. I falter. I make mistakes. And then I recognize and I recommit to doing better. And I recommit and I look at like, how can I make amends for the way in which I failed to live up to my ideal, especially any harm I may have done? And how can I do better t- today? Mm. Beautiful. Mm. So... What's the best way that people can track down the book? Is it available everywhere? <laughs> everywhere. If you're uh, asking your local bookstore, if they don't have it, they'll order it for you. And of course, the giant of Amazon has it. Um, uh, just You could search for it there, Evolved Masculine, or you could go to evolvedmasculinebook.com uh, and order through there. We have a little uh, extra bonus that we include if you uh, go through our route. Um, everything that we can to just... Uh, yeah, I mean, I do this from a sense of purpose. Like, whoever you are listening, like, I don't judge you in any way, shape, or form. I, I, I've walked my own extremely imperfect path. Mm. And if you're ready, wanting, striving to, um, to do even better, to become an even better man, to evolve your own relationship to your masculinity, your sexuality, your connections to women and the feminine, um, get the book, uh, reach out to me, and let me serve you. Let me help you on your on your path. Cool, cool, and uh, just share. Like, uh, mine's ordered. Mine's on the way. So awesome. Uh, Sharon, I'll share. Let me know what I what I think once I read it. Please, um, please do let me know. You're gonna be warned. You're gonna learn more about me than you may have wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be interesting. Well, yeah. Well, I want you back on the show. Well, I never call you again. So we'll see what. One of two. But feel free. Like you know, I I I don't write. I didn't write it to be the unquestionable Bible. Um, I, you know, the generation before did that and it caused some problems in my opinion. I, I, I believe everything that I put down, I put a lot of attention into being as clear as I can be. And, you know, it's 300 pages. What, what are the chances that I, I got something wrong in it? I'm fairly good. I mean, you know, five, 10 years from now, maybe less, um, chances are I'll look at back at something and be like, I could have written that better. Hmm. Oh, you know, I'm not sure if I believe that anymore. Yeah. But again, it's, it, 
talking about the evolution of masculinity. It's yeah. it's not a fixed point. It's going to yeah. continue. So, and I'm and I'm extraordinarily proud of it. And I hold a high bar for the things that I do. So I hope that uh, you'll enjoy. I would expect that you will. <laughs> and I'd love to hear from you, um, whether you, Andy, absolutely, or anybody else listening to this. Let me know your thoughts. Cool. And and what's the best way for people to uh, track you down, follow you, social media, websites? Sure, all of it. EvolveMasculine.com. Um, uh, on all social medias, I'm either found through Destin Garrick or Evolve Masculine. Um, Instagram at Evolve Masculine. Um, uh, Facebook, uh, Destin Garrick. And uh, also Twitter, Destin Garrick. Great. Cool. Yep. Well, uh, I thank you for joining me today. And thanks everyone for listening. And um, I will not make it three years before we talk again. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Really enjoyed this, Andy. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, wherever you're discovering real men feel, wherever you're discovering the evolved masculine, uh, embrace it. Welcome to change. Be willing to take responsibility. It, it's, it's not as bad as you might think. Right? And through it all, be good to yourselves. Bye. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.